This is the human side of healthcare, where we explore all aspects of today's ever-changing healthcare environment. Brought to you by the Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital Council and featuring CEO Stephen Love with co-host Thomas Miller. Now, let's make healthcare human again. Welcome to the human side of healthcare. Delighted you're with us today. And today we're going to have some fun. Thomas and I are going to talk to a good friend who we've known for a number of years. And Janet St. James has agreed to come back and talk with us and give us some updates. I think many of you know that Janet had an esteemed career at WFAA here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and she currently is Assistant Vice President of PR and Media Communications at Medical City Healthcare. Janet, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to um, hear your voices in 2022. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked to you, oh, I guess about 12 months ago or so. How are you doing? Can you update folks on how Janet St. James is doing? Sure. Thank you for asking. I can't believe that it's been a year since we've talked in person. It seems like just yesterday. And at the same time, how slowly time has gone, no thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic. In terms of my health, um, for those that may not know, I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer in 2019, three years after a breast cancer diagnosis. Metastatic breast cancer is an incurable breast cancer. In my case, breast cancer spread to my bones and my lung. So living three years beyond diagnosis is pretty good for someone like me. Even my oncologist is looking gave me the thumbs up. So I am really happy to still be here in 2022, still working full-time, haven't had to take any time off for um, cancer treatment other than my infusions and doctor's appointments. Um, So I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful that science and advances in medicine have kept me ticking for as long as it has. So for right now, I am holding steady. That's not the same as being in remission, though. Um, my latest scan showed that there's some new movement in my in my bones at the very least, and I have um, another little uh, issue that we're trying to figure out right now. But for the for right now, I'm still kicking. That's fantastic, and thanks for sharing that, especially with our listeners. So, how are your holidays this year? Well, um, they were quiet because of the pandemic. I don't go out very often, and I admit that I have some um, challenging discussions with loved ones about whether or not we'll have gatherings. Because even though I am fully boosted from COVID-19, because I'm on immunosuppressant medications and have stage four breast cancer, um, I'm still at high risk of catching COVID-19. And I'm one of those that if I catch it, and I'm hospitalized, I'm one of those in the hospital that may not do so well. Um, So I'm trying to avoid viruses. And that really reflected on our holidays. We did not go out very often unless we were all fully masked and could remain socially distant. That included at my family's home. So I did have an outdoor, the day after Christmas was beautiful, so we were able to gather outside, but I remained fully masked because I didn't know where everybody else has been. So that was a protection for me, and it was a protection that they understood that I had to take for myself. So we had an outdoor family gathering. Um, Other than that, we have, knock on wood, remained COVID-free in my house. You know, that's fantastic news. And Janet, you just gave some great advice to our listeners. And I was going to ask you about that. When you go out, you fully mask. 
and especially with Omicron and the way it's really hitting North Texas, masking for everyone is a great idea. Wouldn't you agree? You bet. And this is such a small action that people can take to protect themselves and to protect others. Honestly, Steve, I don't understand why this is even a big deal. Grabbing a mask and wearing it when I'm going to the grocery store or anywhere seems like such a small action to protect someone else. So I don't know why people won't just grab a mask to save someone else from getting sick from COVID. Seems like a small thing to ask. Totally agree. Well said. You know, Janet, I read an article the other day. It said we're entering our third year of this pandemic and they referred to it as the junior year. Uh, You know, let's hope we don't make it to the senior year. But let me ask you this. Now that we're entering the third year of this pandemic, now that you work in healthcare and you work for a very prominent healthcare system, how is its impact on the employees? That is um, a great question and a complicated question. Certainly, the pandemic has been stressful for anyone, no matter what business you're in. It's stressful. For our healthcare heroes, it is even more stressful because they are dealing with people who have COVID um, every single day in the offices and in the hospital system. They're dealing with people that are sometimes at the worst point or the end of their lives more often than they usually would outside of the pandemic. So it is stressful. At the same time, at no point in my career, even covering healthcare, have I seen such resilience, camaraderie, compassion amongst a group of colleagues and workers that are dedicated to the care and improvement of human life. It's remarkable when I see how our healthcare workers have come together to support each other and support the community. You know, that's such a great answer. So well said. And when you were talking about when you used to cover healthcare, it just triggered a memory for me. You used to ask the toughest darn questions. I was so glad when you came over and became part of the healthcare system. So (laughs) thank you for that. I really appreciate it. That just made my day. Thomas and I uh, talk about you frequently. And the reason we do You're always so upbeat. You have such a great attitude. What keeps you going, Janet? Well, I don't know that I'm always upbeat or have a great attitude. Maybe you just don't see it when I don't. Anytime you have a stage four cancer, there are certainly lows, and I feel lows. I feel pain. I feel anxiety. I feel moments where I think... I'm just done. At the same time, I'm also a doer and I'm just going to do until I can do no more. So for me, that part of that is, um, is facing the world to the best of my ability every single day. Sometimes facing the world is a little bit crabby. Sometimes it's happy. So it just depends on what the day is. Today is a good day. I'm talking to you guys. It's a beautiful day outside. There's a lot of reasons to be thankful today. So I do try to look for the joy in things um, as much as I possibly can. Wow. What an awesome perspective, Janet. You know, I'm thinking through your eyes as a journalist, Channel 8 for all those years, as you now look at what's going on in healthcare and with the healthcare workers in this yet another wave of COVID, how do you see that story? I see 
incredible compassion and heart. I see resilience in being able to come in and continue to do whatever it takes to help patients and their community keep going. And I see even through tears at times, I see their joy in knowing that they continue to help people every single day. Sometimes under the worst conditions, they continue to help people every day and find reasons to find that joy. It's been truly remarkable to be part of it. Well, talking about remarkable, this is Janet St. James, formerly WFAA, now Medical City Healthcare, and also fighting breast cancer. More with Janet next on the human side of healthcare. This is the human side of healthcare, where we feature healthcare's hottest topics and what our North Texas area hospitals are doing to make healthcare human again. Welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Janet St. James. If you've been in the Metroplex for any length of time, you remember her from WFAA Channel 8 News. Now she is with Medical City Healthcare. And the day she was to report to work, the day before, she found out that she had breast cancer, and that has been her journey. We're picking up right where we left off her comments on how her team at Medical City has been handling this wave of COVID. And on my end, um, while I'm telling their stories to some extent, I'm, I've done a lot of internal communication here um, with Medical City Healthcare over the last three years. It seems crazy that we're going into the third year of the, of the pandemic. And I look at how we're wording things and the responses that we get to internal communications that we're sending. And I'm just so heartened that we're going to see the other side of this. I sure hope I get to see the other side of this, but I just see in our healthcare workers that desire to get to the other side, to do whatever it takes to get to the other side. Um, I hope that everyone joins together so that we can get to the other side, because it's going to take all of us. We can't just be little portions of the community that's doing it. And then the rest of it is not. Everybody has to be on the same page at the same time. Thomas, I know that you're traveling right now. It sounds like you're in the studio, but you're not. You're out in a van. I would love to be traveling. I feel like the last couple of years were, it was my time to travel and see the world in a way that I'd never had. The pandemic has really stopped that. I'd really love, while I'm still healthy enough, to be able to get out and see some some of the, the majesties of this planet um, without the red tape involved in getting there. Yeah, Exactly. And, you know, I've traveled a lot since the pandemic began because I wanted to pull back. Uh, I wanted to be isolated. I've got a chronic health condition with my heart that I also, like you, would not like to have COVID. Thank you very much. So I've been very protective. I've got a very similar story to yours. And to me, being out kind of on my own was a way to do that. And fortunately, because of technology, I was able to. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Well, you have an amazing story, too. I know that you're in a van. I'm not willing to travel in a van. <laughs> that's not for me. I'd rather be in a nice, comfortable hotel. But just the red tape of being able to get through an airport um, to the other side of the world, I, I dream still of seeing Italy. Um, it's just such a challenge. And that's why it just takes takes everyone to be on the same page. I, I see the news stories as well of, of people on airplanes that refuse to mask and they get into fights. And um, and boy, I just don't get it. I just want everyone to, to work together to get to the other side. Absolutely. And you know, when you go out and you see people sneezing in the vegetable aisle of the grocery store or arguing about wearing a mask, how does that make you feel from your perspective? 
can I admit, uh, I hope that I'm not seen as rude. I hope somebody understands. I literally hold my breath and run. I turn the other direction and try to get as far away as I possibly can. Um, and I'm always surprised when people do that and think nothing of it because we are, we've done this for two years. So we know that people are paranoid about, about other people coughing and sneezing. I feel like, you know, there should be lots of efforts taken to cover your cough and certainly not go in public if you're feeling ill. We have learned so much about home delivery of groceries and other necessities for life. To me, if you're sick, shouldn't be out in public. And I realize that allergies are not the same as sick. Right now, um, there's a lot of confusion between the symptoms of allergies and cold. And so so I get that. Um, but please, wear a mask. It'll help everybody. It'll protect you in case you do have it and you don't know that you've got it. It'll protect other people around you. So wear that mask. Absolutely. You know, our culture has changed. My grandparents, I remember my grandmother told a story that when infectious diseases, now of course this was before vaccines that wiped all these things out basically, but in the 30s and 40s, if somebody got sick in the house, she'd throw a suitcase out the window for her husband, my grandfather, and say, you're gonna have to go stay in a hotel for a while until we get well. You know, somewhere between then and now, we've lost that respect for each other. Right. My dad tells a story of growing up in the era of polio and taking the polio vaccine, how grateful everybody was to be able to get the polio vaccine. But he remembers being out in his front yard because nobody was allowed to socialize with anyone else and throwing a ball against his front stoop, his front porch stoop. And that's the most he could do is look down the street and wave to other kids. And so he went through it as well. He said that that was that that lasted many months. So this is not unprecedented that we've had to go through this. Maybe it's unprecedented for this long, um, but this is a war on a virus. We have to take it seriously and we have to do our best to protect ourselves and protect our families. Yes, we need to be thinking more about we than me. Janet, let me ask you this. A lot of people listening might have breast cancer or know somebody in their family or a close circle of friends who does, and they're going through the treatment. Very much a similar path to yours. Well documented on social media. Thank you for that. But tell us some of the path that you've been down treating your breast cancer. Sure. Um, I feel like I've sampled just about everything in the world of breast cancer treatment at this point, which is um, unfortunate. I don't even remember how many surgeries I've had. I think maybe nine. Um, when I was diagnosed, I had a double mastectomy. I underwent chemo. I did radiation. Um, I was on hormone blockers because my breast cancer was 99 plus percent hormone fed. Um, and still, it wasn't enough to keep the cancer at bay. So when I was diagnosed three years ago, um, I went on bigger, more powerful hormone blockers and another medication that you've probably seen advertised multiple times on TV. Talks about, um, you know, living your best life, living in the moment. So I'm on those medications. Um, I also get um, bone infusion, infusions. My bones are brittle because the cancer has um, spread throughout my bones in dozens of places. And so my bones are brittle. So I get bone infusions to help strengthen the bones. Um, I'm pretty careful about what I do. I don't run anymore. I have done a kickbox class. 
Um, and I will give them a plug uh, at Lifetime Fitness in Colleyville. Fitness instructors there have really looked out for me. Make sure that I'm always socially distanced um, from everybody else in class in the back so that nobody's breathing on me. But I don't kick anymore in those classes and I have limits to what I can do. I still exercise every single day. I walk every day with my beloved dog, Burl. Um, I consider that part of my treatment as well. Um, but I do have limits um, because of the medications and, and where the cancer is spread for me. But at this point, my numbers, the tumor markers in my body as of my last appointment last month, um, were still stable. And that's a good sign. That's really a testament to good medicine. But where do I go from here? In most cases with metastatic breast cancer, at some point the medications stop working and then you have to have another step. So for me, I know three years in, I've outlived what the, what the longevity of the medication is. It's supposed to prove, you know, it's proven to prolong your life by two years is, is what they say. So I've, I've outlived that. So I'm already looking at what would be the next step should that time come. Though I know there are women that live many years with this. I hope I'm one of them. Um, but that's sort of a summary of what I've been through. I mean, you'll see me on any given day. I don't look so good anymore, so I'm super glad that this is radio so nobody can see the circles under my eyes. I don't sleep well. I don't, you know, I just don't look like myself because those medications can be really hard in ways that people don't understand on the outside or in my voice. So, you know, I struggle with those things every day. Sometimes I have a lot of pain and I take pain medication. It's an evolving treatment and evolving therapies for me. You've been working all the way through this. How have you danced that dance between work and avoiding crowds and COVID in the workplace? Well, I am very lucky to work for Medical City Healthcare, which understands people with serious medical conditions. They have wrapped their arms around me to care like family. Um, during the pandemic, I work from home because much of what I can do can be done on the computer. And even now they understand that there's no need for me to come into the office if I don't have in-person meetings. But I haven't missed any time because so much of it is done via computer and via phone calls, uh, via virtual links. Like so many other people, I've made that transition. So that has really helped to protect me. I have one last question, and it's probably the most important one so far. How is Burl? <laughs> I love that you asked how Burl is. For those who don't know who Burl is, Burl is my stray dog that we found in Burleson, Texas. Um, about eight years ago, um, Burl is my constant companion, and he is my reason for moving every day. He's got to get up and take a walk. He sits next to me all day. He is just a joy of the sweetest little dog. And I can't imagine what it would be like without him by my side. I'm here in the office today missing my burrow. What a great question to end on, Thomas. Janet, we can't thank you enough. You know, we're all better people because we know you. You're an inspiration to all of us. And we can't thank you enough for taking the time to share your personal story related to healthcare to our listeners. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you both so much. And Steve, on a personal note and a professional note, I'd like to thank you for being such a powerful advocate for hospitals and healthcare systems in North Texas. You are always the voice of reason and rationality and work in the interest of public health. Thank you for that. And thank you for those kind words. 
What a privilege to spend a few minutes with Janet St. James. Thank you, Janet, for joining us again in 2022. When we come back, a quick Omicron update with Dr. Robert Haley next on the human side of healthcare. Welcome back to the human side of healthcare, where we explore how to take better care of your health so you can live a happier, healthier life. With DFW Hospital Council CEO Stephen Love, along with Thomas Miller. Welcome to the human side of healthcare. We want to talk a little bit about Omicron today, and we're going to be delighted to have back with us Dr. Robert Haley, who's a professor of internal medicine and director of the Division of Epidemiology in the Internal Medicine Department at UT Southwestern Medical Center. Dr. Haley, welcome back. Very happy to be with you, Steve. You know, I was talking this morning with someone, and I'd love your take on this, Dr. Haley. You know, Omicron's not as serious as Delta, so I'm not worried about it. What do you say to someone that feels that way about Omicron? Well, you could go out and get a gun and play Russian roulette, too, if you want to, but uh, that's not a good idea. Uh, We don't really know how bad Omicron is. That rumor has come from studies in South Africa and England, where conditions are very, very different. In South Africa, the population is a very young population, almost all of whom have already had COVID before and have some immunity. Uh, So they would have a less dangerous situation, less severe illness with the thing. Uh, In the UK, the United Kingdom, England, uh, almost everybody's vaccinated. So, of course, they're having a better time at it. The problem here in the United States is we still have a very sizable part of our population that have avoided the vaccine, which is a very, very bad idea. And now what's happening is this Omicron variant is many times more infectious than any of the other strains of COVID that we've had before. This is probably, I'm I'm sure this is the most infectious germ I've ever seen or heard of. It is just going wild and everybody is going to be affected by this pretty soon. Also uh, very ominous is the fact that our hospitals just in the last week have started filling up. Almost every day we double the number of people with COVID in our hospitals and it's still going. So the, the, the curve is just going straight up now. It's, it's not just a gentle rise. It's just taking off, exploding straight up. So anybody who hasn't gotten it is going to get it. And in fact, many people who have gotten it are going to get it. And so uh, many of them, if, if unvaccinated, are going to end up in the hospital and maybe the intensive care unit and maybe dying. So this is a, a new, more serious Uh, stage in this thing, and we're not sure how bad it's going to be. You know, you mentioned how contagious it was. Thomas and I were talking before we started this interview, and he brought up an excellent question about the R not factor. And to our listeners out there, it's how contagious it is. How would you compare Omicron to, say, the measles? Well, measles is the most infectious disease we know. Measles and chickenpox are uh, in the same order of magnitude as as Omicron. I don't, we don't know the exact numbers yet, but it's it's in the same ballpark. Whereas the previous COVID ones were were about a third as uh, infectious as uh, measles and chickenpox. 
You know, when we look back to January of 2021, we were just beginning to dispense the COVID-19 vaccines in this country. And of course, as you know, we had a surge. Now, here we are, January of 2022, beginning our third year, really, of this pandemic. And we've got many people vaccinated, but still, as you mentioned, many aren't vaccinated, and yet we have another surge. Can you compare and contrast how January of 22 is different than January of 21? Yeah, January of 21, virtually nobody was vaccinated. So everybody was highly susceptible, and uh, we had a fairly infectious strain of covid uh, uh, circulating around, and so it was it was infecting everybody who was exposed, and many were going to the hospital, and of course the deaths then began rising, and it was a very bad situation last fall and winter. Uh, now then, we've got a strain that's that's much more, maybe five times more infectious than that strain, but fortunately, a slim majority of our population have been vaccinated. And even though they might get a, an infection with it, they might have a positive test and might have little sniffles and maybe a little sore throat, they're not going to get really severely ill. What's different from, uh, from a year ago is that this thing is just so much more infectious and it's going to get everybody. You know, your experience, uh, especially in infectious disease, uh, has been tremendous. You've worked at the CDC. But I've been wanting to ask you, when you look at COVID-19 and now you look at Omicron and you kind of look to the future, what nags at you or keeps you up at night worrying about this virus? Well, we've not seen the last of uh, COVID when, when this particular wave is over. It's gonna, it looks like it's going to be with us now for maybe the rest of our lives in some form or another. And that's why everybody needs to get vaccinated because the people who remain unvaccinated, they're going to continue to be at risk for years to come. Now, once you're vaccinated, though, I think as the, when this thing comes back again, you will probably still be immune or we'll just need a single booster to make you immune in the future. Steve, I'd like to get your thoughts on this, too. We've seen news clips of long lines of people getting either tested or in line to get a vaccination. Are we seeing those lines in North Texas? Well, I'll go first and then Dr. Haley. Yes, we're seeing long lines of testing. Uh, We think people should get tested. I can't say that we're having the vaccine rates we'd like to see, but we have seen a slight uptick in people getting vaccines. Yeah, so Dr. Haley, has this increased people's motivation to take another look at the shot if they haven't yet? Well, I think what's interesting here is it's it's really gotten people jazzed up to get tested, but it hasn't done so much for them getting vaccine. Now, we do have an increase in people wanting to get the vaccine, but it's not anything like the amount of uh, increase in wanting people wanting testing. Uh, the point is, we have plenty of vaccine now. You know, a year ago, the vaccine was was in short supply. Now we've got plenty. And there are many, many places around the city that you can get the vaccine and it's free. Dr. Haley, I was kind of taken back at the beginning when you said how contagious, this was the most contagious thing you've ever seen. So take us through, how do we go out there and get Omicron? Is it aerosol? Oh, it's, yeah, it's it's spread by aerosol 
the tiniest little droplets that can waft around in the air and go many feet. Uh, and, and if you breathe them in, uh, you can get infected. So if you go to a party or a family get-together or uh, any place where you're in a group of other people, particularly if you're in a room where you don't feel a breeze, you know, then you're very much at risk. If you happen to have somebody else in there who's infected and maybe probably doesn't even know it, uh, you will get it because the thing is just so, so infectious. All right. So as we walk back through the other variants of COVID, you pretty much had to get exposed to a sneeze or you had to get exposed to the droplets in some way or another. Mm -hmm. Now you're talking about just simple breath or words talking could do this. That's right. You bet. If you're in a room with some loquacious person who loves to talk and they happen to be infected and maybe don't even know it, they may infect everybody in the room. You just don't know where it's coming from. And that's why when you're with other people, you ought to be wearing a mask. Well, that was going to be my next question. If this is so contagious and now spread by talking, do masks still work? My feeling about that from knowing how these things work is I'm not sure it matters too much what kind of mask you have. Now, you you may have heard some of the experts on television saying, oh, you need an N95 mask. And that may be true, but I don't think, I really don't think so, because whether you get infected or not, this is interesting. It's a numbers game. It's a probability. And the more virus that you breathe in, the more likely it is to catch hold and give you an infection and particularly get way deep down in your lungs. If you just breathe a little bit, uh, it won't be enough to get you and to actually establish an infection. So anything that cuts down on the amount of virus that you've inhaled will reduce your chance of actually getting an infection. So I think a a cloth mask is better than, by far better than no mask, but an N95 or a KN95 mask that you can buy at the drugstore now, those are better, but I still think a cloth mask, if that's all you have, that's plenty good. And then to be real clear with this, because I think this has been a messaging thing that has been a point of confusion for many people. If you are vaccinated, you can still get the Omicron variant, correct? Yes, you can. However, you're unlikely to get very sick with it. Uh, And this is a source of confusion. People are saying, well, if you can get sick anyway, why do I want to get vaccinated? Well, the difference is, yes, you can still get the infection. And you could even be infectious and infect somebody else, but you won't get very sick. In fact, the great majority of vaccinated people who get infection don't ever even know it, don't feel it. And only if you happen to get tested for some other reason do they find it. Uh, But most people are completely asymptomatic. Whereas if you're not vaccinated and you get it, most likely you're going to get very sick and have a horrible infection where you're sick for a week or two and maybe have long COVID, you know, a long-lasting thing that may last the rest of your life where you feel bad the rest of your life or have trouble thinking or concentrating your or your heart is heartbeat becomes irregular the rest of your life. You see, this is really a bad disease. It's much worse than people realize. But if you're vaccinated, you may get infected, but you're not going to get sick and you're not going to get all those long-lasting side effects. Thank you, Dr. Haley. We'll keep you posted on Omicron as it unfolds. When we come back, a really cool program in the Sanger School District 
that is helping fight childhood obesity. The Thrive program, Danelle Parker from Texas Health Resources is coming back to talk about it next on the human side of healthcare. Stay with us. Covering the healthcare topics that matter most to North Texas. This is the human side of healthcare with DFW Hospital Council CEO Stephen Love, along with Thomas Miller. Welcome to the human side of healthcare. Delighted you're with us today. And you know, the title of the show is The Human Side of Healthcare. We're so excited about the segment we have today. We're going to be talking with Danelle Parker. She's Director of Community Health Improvement at Texas Health Resources for Collin, Denton, and Wise Counties. Danelle, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You know, I've heard a little bit about a program called Thrive that you've implemented in Sanger, Texas. For our listeners, can you define what Thrive is and why it's such an important program? Yes, I can. So Thrive stands for Together Harnessing Resources to Give Individuals Voice and Empowerment. And since 2019, Texas Health Resources has awarded Sanger ISD two grants, giving them more than $594,000. And they work with community uh, partners to implement the Thrive program. The goal of this program is to teach resiliency to youth, help them overcome childhood traumas, and improve their mental health. We also wanted to address uh, food insecurity, and we'll talk a little bit more about what that does um, a little bit later on. So, you know, when you think in terms of this Thrive program, you know, it really does touch on the social determinants of health. So how has Sanger ISD and its partners been able to accomplish things through this program? What are some of the achievements thus far? One of the achievements is addressing childhood events in these kids' lives. One in four youth experience adverse childhood events. These events can be anything uh, traumatic, including risk for homelessness, food insecurity, behavioral health, et cetera. And so with this program, we are teaching kids early how to, how to be resilient, you know, to what life throws at them, what kind of healthy coping mechanisms can we use um, because we know ACEs lead to risky behaviors in children. And so the Thrive program initially wanted to increase resiliency in kids by 10%. And after the first grant cycle, we realized that they were able to increase resiliency in these kids by 24%. And that's just amazing. You know, it's amazing that you have those metrics to support it. In your answer, you mentioned ACEs. And I want to make sure our listeners understand that's adverse childhood events, which you touched on in your answer. I also understand and have heard a little bit about a grocery store that's inside one of the high schools. Can you expand on that and how does that work? Absolutely. So the grocery store is a place where kids, it's run by students. And it's also for the students' families. And this is a place where once the kids are learning these resiliency skills, the grocery store gives them an opportunity to practice those 
skills. The students run the store themselves. The food is purchased through a point system. And so they get points by demonstrating resiliency, acts of kindness, good behavior, anything a teacher sees towards the resiliency part of our program. Uh, The store has actually given 21 students that are at risk the opportunity to serve in in that store and serve their community. So let me ask you this, in serving the community, are there other metrics that you looked at other than what you just told us about where you measure the success of the program? Yes, actually, under the first grant, um, that grocery store was able to serve more than 280 families. And so it's not just for the families that their kids are in the Thrive Program, but it's also for families of Sanger ISD. And then on Tuesday nights, it's open to the community. So, you know, approximately 12,600 pounds of food were given out that first grant cycle. You know, that's terrific. And the fact that you've got measurements and outcomes to support this program are so compelling related to the work you're doing. You know, Danelle, in one of your answers, you mentioned there were two grants. You've touched on some of the work you're doing. What is the second grant and what does it provide? So the second grant is actually to expand the Thrive Program to other schools in the Sanger SD district. And then it's also uh, to help support and fund a community garden. One of the things THR has done through its community impact grants has made it really important that they these grants go out, but they also have a sustainability plan. And so that when Texas Health no longer funds them, how are they going to continue to run? And so the community garden is called Community Strong Farms. And it's 14 acres that was donated by a church in the area, New Life Church of Denton. And right now, um, they're, they're currently busy setting up electricity at the garden. I mean, constructing a building, you know, basically building a community garden from scratch on a piece of land. You know, it's amazing. To our listeners out there, when you think in terms of hospitals and healthcare, you think of coming to the actual building or potentially having a virtual visit, as we've learned in COVID-19. But here's a healthcare system that's actually helping with community gardens, with food banks, with grocery stores. It's tremendous work, and it really does touch the social determinants of health. And can you explain to our listeners why that's so important when you're looking at healthcare? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, we we all know that that our health is affected not only by, you know, the diseases maybe we have through our genetics, but also it it can be affected by where we live and and how we live. So, you know, Community Impact was founded on on the belief that, you know, your zip code should not have a bigger impact on your health than your genetic code. And so really going outside the hospital walls and looking at if you can't afford your medicines and you can't afford food and you have children, you're going to always choose food over your medications, right? Or or homelessness. Again, you can't pay your utilities and you're at risk of losing your home. Well, you're not going to be taking your medicines and you're not going to be getting well checkups, right? And so what we wanted to do is is come in and say, look, if we take some of the social determinants of health off of the shoulders of the community and be able to really elevate the community to care for themselves, let's see how our health outcomes change. 
You know, you talked a lot about the Thrive Program, the Sanger Independent School District, expanding it to other schools within the Sanger ISD. Have you thought about duplicating this program and spreading it to other communities and even other counties? Absolutely. We are so excited. Uh, The Thrive Program really took off, and there was so much interest in having this program brought to other other schools and other areas. In fact, we're in the process right now of helping Delay Middle School in Louisville ISD. They've, they're opening up a grocery store as we speak with money that was given from an Albertsons grant to THR, uh, and THR has given it to Delay Middle School because this is so important. Again, we have, like I shared earlier, we have outcomes from this program, and we really want to share that with other areas. And THR has identified some areas that we've already noted as high-risk areas, um, but there are some things that go into duplicating this program. And as we know with our schools, you know, space is at a premium. And so having space and having a champion to really uh, promote this program and work hard on it are two of the special soft secrets. You know, in addition to directing this community health improvement that you do for Texas Health Resources, you are a registered nurse. You have a Bachelor of Science in Nursing So is there anything else you'd like to convey to our listeners related to the social determinants of health or other programs that you're doing to reach into the community? Yes. I just want, you know, our our visitors are you know here to hear that there are resources, you know, to help with your social determinants of health needs. Uh, and and a lot of people don't necessarily know that. And so I wanna, you know, just say read you know, reach out and tell somebody. Um, talk to the school where your children go and you know, take advantage of those opportunities because it may have a huge impact on your life. I did see some people helping erect that sign at the community garden. Are there volunteer opportunities? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely volunteer opportunities. Um, You can go to First Refuge Ministries' website, and um, I think they have volunteer opportunities listed, and then there is a number and a contact information to reach out to Paul Juarez, who's the executive director and his team. And that website is DentonRefuge.org if you'd like to volunteer. Thanks so much for listening. Danelle Parker, thanks for joining us with that great program. We'll see you next week on the Human Side of Healthcare.